Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. This episode, entitled Bread and Sandals, was given on August 12, 2018 by Jason Shea in the series, Ruth, Fully Devoted. And we're going to do verses 1 through 12. Yes, that's it. Uh, wait. Yeah, 1 through 12. Is there one there? Uh, Ruth chapter 4, the 266 in that book. Uh, and then read along with me. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there just as the guardian redeemer. He had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it. In the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. If you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am the next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer then, I'm sorry, at this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in the earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off the sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders of all the people, today you are my witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Mahalon. I also have acquired Ruth the Moabite, Mahalon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. The Lord add a blessing to his word. All right. Man, so glad that like heat is just like kind of coming down. I had a fig this morning that was incredible. It is fig season. I'm sorry I had to say it. Uh, she brought me a fig and it was just like brown sugar. It was so good. Um, just, in, just in good spirits today. Um, so uh, we're going to be working through the next part of Ruth and talking about what it means to belong to the family of God. We're going to talk about gates and sandals, and we might get to witnesses and blessings. We'll see where we go. So today, just so you know, like um, this this text, I had uh, I struggled with for some reason. It was just one of those weeks where just things weren't coming together, and I was frustrated and ready to throw in the towel one day. And yesterday, my head was in the clouds, and I was like, ah, I don't know about this, and I was just 
it was just one of those weird weeks. But um, so I just want to say, you know, not every week in prepping sermons does it all just like come together. I mean, Bethany comes together a little bit more. <laughs> but uh, but um, right. Right. But it, this is more, um, there's a sort of a collection of, of things that I feel like the Spirit put on my heart this morning. So I'm going to share those and we'll just kind of see where it goes. Um, but I, just, I, yeah, anyway. So last week we wrestled with God's vision and picture of masculinity as seen through Boaz, who we saw was this man of power and strength and influence and status. The, the Hebrew term for that was Hael. And uh, we saw how uh, Boaz became someone who did not use his power and influence over Ruth, but instead Boaz becomes an advocate for her. And that was this picture of masculinity. So power as seen through the eyes of God is the ability to choose to use influence and power to advocate for another and in this case, for, for Boaz, he doesn't just lift up, want to just lift up the voice of Ruth. He actually wants to lift her up as a person, to be the best person she could be. And in fact, the term that he used, what did we learn? The, two, the term that Boaz is called is Hael. The term that Boaz uses for Ruth is also Hael. Okay? Booth, Booth. <laughs> I did that last week, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> so... He, he literally is like, my status does not matter. You and I are equals. It was this beautiful picture that we saw of him saying, this woman is a power and influence. And if you notice in your Bibles, it says, a woman of noble character. So nice of them to choose that. Um, I'm not saying women don't have noble character. I'm just saying, like, it doesn't get the same, like, oomph that he got in the beginning of this man of power and influence. And uh, Ruth is someone of power and influence, and that's what Boaz is advocating for. You are, you're all with me. Yeah. So, um, so the way society or culturally uh, Ruth would have been seen as, you know, they would have been seen someone, they would have treated her as a widow and barren and immigrant and probably just not paid much attention to her. Um, and normally it isn't people on the margins who have the last word, people like Ruth. And so uh, this God-ordained ancient story tells us something different about the purposes that God has for his people and that he, God shows how it is all people who belong to the story of God. Um, no one's excluded. And so whether it's 3,000 years ago or today, I think um, it is a relevant theme, the idea of belonging it's a relevant theme for humanity, and especially, I think, as related to the church. So um, there is this constant desire, not desire, but there's, there's a lot in, within faith communities that I know I wrestle with that is about excluding and judging about who belongs and who doesn't, who's in and who's out. But this story tells us a different message about the family and community and the extent and the vastness of God's kingdom and what that looks like. It tells a different story about how God gets the last word over all that God created. And this is God's world and we have been grafted into it as a gift. And 
our lives are to be a reflection of the Creator. And there's not a list of things that we have to do to reflect His image, except that we need to accept and discover the kingdom that has been planted within us already. So in this week's part of the story, Boaz goes to the gates of Jerusalem. It's the first verse. Um, So the gates historically, historically speaking, were points of entry, points of exit. Um, There would have been, uh, typically there's, uh, in some cities, there would have been one gate, and then there would have been like another gate. And then there's like the in between the gates. And in between the gates, there was a lot that happened that was really important to the life of the community that was inside the gates. So in, in between the gates, there was commerce. So there was often a marketplace that happened. Um, there, was, uh, there was often guards that guarded the, the front gate from the second gate. And there was almost two layers of guards. And in between the gates also was um, perhaps like a plaza area, like the Arcata Plaza, not, maybe not a square, but you get the idea. There was a lot of community members there who were not only selling things, but they were, they were doing a lot. And there was also, and, and in between the gates was also um, a place where legal matters were, were settled. So not a courthouse necessarily, but uh, it's, it's, it's where it was settled. One of the reasons, because there was always so much happening there, there was witnesses to see what these people had decided on when it came to legal matters. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. So, um, now we don't really have gates in our cities. Um, there isn't a gate that separates Eureka from Arcata, although the safety corridor might be, <laughs> might be, <laughs> might be a gate, right? <laughs> we, all, we all dread the corridor. We're like, oh my gosh, 50 miles per hour, really? <laughs> um, so uh, I, I don't know how long that corridor has been there. Does anybody know? There was a point in time where you could go 65, right? Yeah, it was insane. Oh, it was 60. Okay, so they reduced it by 10 miles. All right, so you get you get the idea. Um, although you know, in our and I guess in our country, you could argue that there's there's gates and walls and fences that separate our country from the other. Um, and maybe another sermon for another time, but you get the picture. And so the, if I had to use my imagination a little bit, and I think about gates, gates often keep people in and some people out, right? So in, in this context, um, the guards at the gates, it would have not been uncommon for them to, to, to approve certain people to go in that weren't going to be a threat. It's not like there was a line where you had to show your documents necessarily, but um, as long as they realized you weren't a military threat or you weren't a threat to the head threat to the health of the, uh, the community or the commerce of the community, then certainly would have been allowed to participate, but mainly in between the gates. So that you had to get to the first gate to go. Um, and so perhaps maybe a way to look at it would have been like, um, uh, you know, like a town hall meeting kind of, sorry, I'm, I'm moving, moving to a different part of my sermon already. <laughs> uh, so Boaz does something different at this gate, right? So he invites elders to join him, which that wouldn't have been uncommon because this is a, there's a, a legal element to what's happening here. But he invites him to join in advocating for 
a Moabite who didn't quite belong to this community. And Ruth didn't look like an Israelite. She didn't talk like an Israelite. She didn't practice like an Israelite. She probably didn't smell like an Israelite. She didn't dress like an Israelite. She, she, she was very obviously different than the rest of that community. Not someone that would have belonged there. Not someone who would have been welcomed into the family. Um, and so Boaz advocates for this person on the margins. So not only would the elders have been there, but much of the community would have been there as well, like I mentioned, because of the commerce, to help keep accountable to the decisions that were happening within the community. Um, perhaps it might be seen as a town hall meeting <laughs> with the uh, council, city council acting as like the elders. So what I see is I see Boaz essentially creating a platform to disrupt the system that wanted to determine who was in and who was out who you said yes to and who you said no to. And so, like I said, Ruth is not someone you typically would have said yes to. And Boaz invites these people, these important decision makers, about saying yes to this person. So we don't really have gates in our culture. I know I mentioned the, the uh, corridor is like a, is like a joke, but um, there, there really isn't uh, a lot that we have that are gate-like. Um, I mean, I guess we, we do have gates around our hearts, right? Sort of fenced in sometimes. Um, perhaps we have gates around our friendships or gates around our beliefs, our belief system in God and Christ and community. Gates around our families. Um, gates around our churches. There's doors that let people in and people out. We lock them certain times a day. But gates can be good. I'm not critiquing gates. Gates certainly have a place, I think, too. But there's a point where they can also certainly limit our perspective, right? Perhaps maybe they could limit our discovery about who this mysterious creator is that we have been invited into fellowship with. So if we are interested in making disciples as followers of Jesus, we have to first open our gates, our own personal gates, the gates of our churches, the gates of our hearts and our families and communities so that we might open up others to the good news of the gospel of Jesus. I mean, we, we all collectively show up here every single week because, well, there's probably a lot of reasons, but one, we want to worship together. We believe in community, right? And not just community, but we believe in community that that serves God, the creator, and, and, and Christ is the, the center of this. And so we hold on to something that is really dear to us, and we feel, feel like it's probably more, more powerful and more, more important than anything else in the life, to the point that we restructure our lives around it, right? Hopefully, that's the idea. Right, not always. I'm not saying it always works that way. I see David going, uh, no, I'm just kidding, David. I, I'm with you, I'm with you on that, like, if, if everything was firing on all cylinders, that's how, how, how it would look. But we're all trying to take steps in our journey towards this, this, this walk with Jesus that we have. And so I would argue we have something amazing to offer for people who don't belong, right? I would argue, I'm like totally going off now. That's okay. Um, so if you read um, 
I did quite a bit of research this week on loneliness because I thought I was going like, to talk about, a bunch about loneliness. But this is just coming to me. So loneliness um, actually came to me the other service. So, so loneliness is considered an epidemic now. Um, there are people who do not feel like they belong. And there, there's arguments about whether people are lonely or not, and there's different scholars and stuff. But pretty unanimously, you can read a lot of literature from Harvard, Yale, from NPR, from all New York Times. You could read all, all, all these different places about the nature of loneliness and how much people don't feel like they belong anymore. Um, and then you, there's a whole another sort of argument about social media and what that's doing, how that actually was intended to create more community but isolates more. So if you're like me, I put up walls and I put up barriers in my life often that keep that I, people I want to say yes to and people I want to say no to. And those yeses are people typically that look like me, talk like me, talk like me, smell like me, I get along with really well, we like fire on all cylinders. And those people are important. You've got to have those people in your life. But when it comes to people who don't fit into that box, boy, I have a real, I have a hard time sometimes saying yes to those people. Are you with me? But if we have something so valuable, the kingdom of God planted within us, the management team that Russ talks about, why would we not want to say yes to everyone we could think of? And it's so hard, though. Oh, my goodness. Are you with me? Yeah. Uh, just tell me what you're thinking for a few minutes. I need, like, this. <laughs> yeah. What, what's, what's stirring? I'm just really, I'm just, like, observed that having a kid who's maybe um, an automatic no so good. I'm so glad you said that. Because that's like another layer. It's a different, it's a different layer of saying yes. Um, it's not just about external. It's something maybe an internal conflict you're having with for a family member or something like that. Is that what you're well, or yeah, past just, experiences? I mean, that, just the, like, it's so hard to say yes to certain people, but not because we're so different from each other. It's more like they're triggering me. Oh, something. sure. You know what I mean? like, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Rick was first. Well, just, you know, in, in the Gideon ministry, uh, it's put me out in the front lines, and it's not always comfortable. Uh, there's, you know, there's rejection, and there's, you know, sometimes anger. 
And um, yet, through all of those times, I'm always enriched and I'm always glad that I've been there, encountering people right where they're at and where I'm at. And you know, God uses those times for growth, and it's good. So mm-hmm. it's important to push those gates and those boundaries back. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Well, I was going to say how important it is to have a community of people that you trust, mm-hmm. because when we experience those those traumas in our life, that the, the, the gate or the wall becomes a source of protection for ourselves to not experience that trauma again. Community is like a safe community are the people that can go with you into those situations, hold your hand, knows your story, um, and can help like heal some of those traumas to where you can step into a circumstance or a situation that you weren't normally able to step into because you have your, your friend with you next to you who is safe and supportive and loves you and cares for you and, you know, mm-hmm. showing Jesus to you. Yeah. I want to say, so saying yes to people is important, but saying yes to God is like first. Um, if you look at this, this story, in the very beginning of the story, so in the text that we're in, does, does Boaz ask anything of Ruth to, be, to belong to the community? He doesn't put any kind of like requirements on her, right? But in the beginning of the story, we see that Ruth has made some kind of change. She says to Naomi, you know, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. So she says yes to God, but fully fully present without knowing the future at all. She has no idea what, the, what is ahead of her. She has no idea that Ruth is gonna, Boaz is going to advocate for her. She has no idea that she's going to end up in Boaz's field. She has no idea um, what else? Uh, she doesn't know how the story is going to turn out, but she says yes to God in that present moment. And that's sometimes the hardest thing for us to do, right? Just to say yes in, even in that moment. I've had this, I was just thinking of this conversation I had with Russ a while back and um, and he was, he was challenging me about, in, in some ways, about my, rest, my yes to God and, and, and practicing saying yes. I mean, that's the one thing exactly. Practicing saying yes all week, like every day. And it totally, it totally changed my week, you know, completely changed my week to say yes. Even in the, like, the most difficult, vulnerable, hard times to say yes. Um, and I found myself not always wanting to say yes. Like there was something that I, I had some resistance to it. When you look at Jesus... And we see um, when Jesus asked his disciples in the beginning of his ministry, and he said, will you come follow me? And what do they say? Yes. <laughs> what were you going to say, David? They didn't say anything. They just dropped their nets. They just dropped their nets, okay? So yes can be body language, right? <laughs> yes is a physical enactment of what we're doing. It's not just a verbal thing. But, but they had no idea what was ahead. They had no idea what, what was going to unfold in their lives with what was the savior of the world. And at that point, probably didn't even really know what that meant exactly. Um, but they said yes. And so I, I, what I'm getting at is like there's, there's like li- multiple layers of yes. It's not just our yes to other people so that they feel like they belong and they're included in our community. Um, and I mean the, when our community, I mean the community of the kingdom of God. But it's also, it's also begins with us saying yes to God first. And, 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 I, and I'd argue that, you know, every week is a chance for us to say yes again to God and say, like, okay, your kingdom's within me. Let's, let's do this again. 
even when it's a hard week. And I mean, the path of Jesus was not easy and it involves what? It involves sacrifice and suffering and patience, patience and what else? Loss. Loss. Loss of family. Um, but joy and peace through those things. I mean, we already know life has is going to have a lot of challenges no matter what. No matter what age you are, that's, we've, we've dealt with them. And we're good. there's going to be more ahead. But there's a sort of a peace that we can have through it. What else? Anything else? What, what, what else are people thinking about right now? I'm coming to a close. Yes, Ed. What Captain said about trust, I think for I'm very introverted and so I have to reach out pretty much because there's a sense of I've seen so many of these things before I come back and bite you and don't do these things again and they come back and bite you. And it's like you either let your heart be sensitive and allow yourself to be bitten or you put up a talus and say, you know, I don't like the feeling. And so the whole idea of trust, it's hard to find it yeah. because, um, I mean, it, it's just, it, when I look at human nature and things like that, it's like, wow, it's, it's really tough to get into that vulnerability to say, oh, I trust you. You're not going to hurt me. You're not going to harm me. You're not going to do anything Yeah, it is hard. Yeah, it, absolutely. There, there's the, when you were talking about that, it just made me think about the reality that as Christians, we have Christ in us all the time. And so when we're, when we have the opportunity to, to be in a place where um, we might get hurt, um, for me, I feel like the greater good is always stepping into that that potential pain than to protect myself because no matter what, Christ is with me and Christ is there as, as like my heart's protection. Even though, you know, you don't want to put yourself in anything that you could get physically hurt or that sort of thing, but that heart protection, you know, being, um, being foster parents, the, the training that we receive and everything like that is so important, but, but the thing that as a foster parent you have to step into is is to not guard your heart. Because the minute you guard your heart when a child comes into your home is the minute that you can't step into them being, like you can't be their, their mom then because you're, you're their caretaker. You're, you've got to protect yourself because they might not stay. And that does such damage to the child, even though it's safety for yourself. And so for, for us, what we realized was like, man, there's, there's a myriad of painful experiences that will come our way, and we, if we protect ourselves, then we do the other person damage. And, and in, instead, we just can be open to the damage that we will receive from the heartache of what can come, knowing that, that Christ will never leave, that we are always protected in that relationship with Jesus. Um, and that is so sustaining in those times that we open ourselves, that I open myself up to that sort of potential heartache. No one else? Okay. Oh, I don't know if this is um, one of the things that I'm dealing with is in today's political environment, I have very old friends that have, I've known since I was seven. 
extreme other end of the way I feel about what's going on, that um, I've actually had people call, tell me that I was working for the Antichrist because I was not supporting our current um, president or whatever administration. And so at one point, I just went through and unfriended everybody <laughs> because I just I was in a place yeah. where I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't mm -hmm. reach out and love them anyway because I felt so strongly about what was happening. And it was really hard for me to go back and open myself up and say, okay, I'm doing, I'm going to try really hard to do a new Facebook group that has no politics, and I'm just going to love you no matter what, and, you know, let's just go from there. And that, for me, was really hard, because these are, I'm not really involved physically in um, relationships with old friends now. We've been here just for a short period of time, and this is kind of our reaching out to this body here, which is wonderful, by the way. But I think I'm not the only one that's having that struggle, and I'm thinking the person that said that to me, who is, um, actually a couple even generation older than I am and is a, a veteran and you know he truly felt that way and so for him to come back in and even accept well actually he requested my friendship and that was huge for him and for me to acknowledge that and say hey we're good was I think those situations are real yeah yeah, I think, um, thanks for sharing that. I, it makes me think um, it's important for us to lead from a place of yes, not from no. But sometimes the spirit leads you towards a no, and you have to, there are, I mean, like I said, gates can be important, you know, and there are times when perhaps that's a way God's leading you. Um, I don't know what that looks like exactly, but it's not, it's not always unanimous yes. Um, I guess is what I'm getting at. So one last one last point, and then we'll go into communion. So um, there's this uh, there's this thing that happens in the story where um, Boaz and this man are sitting down, and they like take off the sandal. Um, I don't know why I said take off because <laughs> take off their sandal. <laughs> uh, they take off their sandal, and it's this like transaction. And so if you look back in Deuteronomy, there's this picture there talks about taking off a sandal and you spit in the person's face. So if you guys could just like do that for a second. <laughs> this is to like solidify our transaction right now. But, but there's also something powerful in the sandal. Um, and this is me just noticing something that I saw earlier in the story of God. And it's, that's when Moses is with, he's, he's, um, he's out on Mount Horeb and he's walking along and he, you know, hears this voice come or this burning bush you know he sees this burning bush and it says Moses Moses take off your sandals for the ground you're standing on is holy so so Boaz saying yes and this is me just I'm putting this out there I didn't read this like anywhere but I mean I, I see that Boaz saying yes to Ruth is it was a holy act as well there's something sacred and set apart about it. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly making some interpretive leaps there, but I do think there is something holy in it. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is, 
because Boaz said yes to Ruth and Ruth belonged, what did that do for the community that Boaz was part of? What did that do for Boaz's community? She, she literally changed their perspectives. That went from like Israelite only, Israelite and Moab, Moabites. Like, she, God used her to broaden their perspective more because of that yes. And that's, that's huge. Um, and that's hard because the yeses can lead to that um, and help us discover a, something even new about the kingdom that lives within us. We're going to make a transaction today. Keep the sandal. There are a bunch of people walking around in like two different sandals. Two different sandals. <laughs> <laughs> the sandal, there's, I read a lot about sandals this week. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot to, lot to be said about the sandal. And just because something happened in one account with a sandal doesn't mean it implies that something, that, that same thing is implied in the other account. So the Moses thing and the Ruth thing, I'm making those connections there. Um, I'm not sure that they are supposed to be that way, but I'm just making a little bit of a leap because I, I like the, I, the, for me, it's the picture of holiness. Um, so. Well, I mean, even, even with John the Baptist, he was talking about Jesus being someone that he doesn't even have the worthiness to untie his sandals. Yeah. And I think that it all belongs because Moses was told to take off his sandals because the ground was holy. And, and I think Jesus... We, the, the disciples followed the sandals of Christ, and I think it's because God's not trying to make ground holy, he's trying to make holy people and holy situations and holy circumstances in our lives, and so I think communion is a great, the, the most beautiful thing of, of an example of how we get to consume the holiness of Christ and have that holiness be with us um, as we are transformed people throughout our weeks and every day. Do you like how husband and wife did that? We did not plan that, but on the same page, I guess. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about ways that you can be involved with Catalyst, please visit our website at provokechange.org. Until next time, continue loving God, loving our neighbors and loving each other.